Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to 3rd Love, you can have both. 3rd Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they made solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. They even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. You know how you learn to really appreciate how good your products are? Leave town and get stuck with whatever shampoo is in the hotel. I take Pros and their custom hair products for granted, y'all. Pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do. From their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. From millions of possible formulas, only one is uniquely yours or mine. I never found beauty products that really understood my needs. But ever since I switched to custom hair and skin routine with Pros, I've noticed so many benefits. My thin hair is moisturized but not weighed down. And my waves have never looked better. And Pros isn't just better for you, it's better for the planet. They're a certified B Corps, cruelty-free, and the first and only carbon-neutral custom beauty brand. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash pantsuit. So you get your free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash pantsuit. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash pantsuit. Traditionally, financial planning advice is either only for those who are already wealthy or salespeople calling themselves financial advisors who say they'll give you free financial advice but really just sell products to earn commissions. Fearless Finance takes a dramatic departure from either of those traditional models. Their entire business is built on making financial advice accessible and affordable because we know that financial literacy, stress reduction, and financial security are critical to overall well-being. I'm a little bit obsessed with Elizabeth, our fearless finance advisor. I've had an array of advisors in the past who answered questions like, should we be spending less on this with evasive answers like, it depends on your priorities. Not Elizabeth. She answers with actually helpful guidelines. You're spending more than the average family of five, or I'd like to see this increase by 6%. Uh, thank you. This is Fearless Finance's mission, to make advice affordable and accessible. You meet with your planner virtually and they charge you by the hour. You only pay for the time you use down to a quarter hour. Their planners meet with you where you are on your financial journey, no judgment. Visit fearlessfinance.com today. You can chat with a planner for free to make sure it's a good fit and you'll get $50 off your first planning meeting when you use the code pantsuit. That's fearlessfinance.com and use code pantsuit for $50 off your first planning meeting. Barbara Bush passed away this week, and the Trump administration officials are making headlines. We discuss the week's news and ways for students to become more politically engaged. This is Sarah from the left and Beth from the right. Live from Walsingham Academy in Williamsburg, Virginia, you're listening to Pantsuit Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. So we're really happy 
happy to be at Walsingham Academy in Virginia. Today we've had a really lovely day. We spent some time with several high school classes and middle school classes and just meeting the faculty here. You know how sometimes you can just feel you're in kind of a special place? That's yes. the sensation that I've had all day. It also helps that the sun is shining and you have tulips blooming everywhere. Um, the school itself is beautiful. Everybody's got smiles on their faces. We've had a really good time with the students here today. We had a student reference the Federalist Papers. Mm-hmm. Like We've been very impressed with the student engagement, the questions that everyone asked, the ideas that they had. I feel like we solved some things. We did. We solved term limits and something else in the first class. Voting access. Oh, voting access. Yes. We fixed it, both of them, in the first class. Get it together, Congress. We're doing it here Mm -hmm. at the only co-ed pre-K through 12th grade Mercy School in the United States. So we're really excited to be here. You can learn more about Walsingham Academy by visiting walsingham.org. So we're going to jump into the news. We're starting with kind of a sad story, but also one that makes us think about a person's life in a really lovely way. So Barbara Bush passed away. She and her husband, George H.W. Bush, had been married for over 70 years. And my husband and I heard that together. And he goes, does that make you tired? (laughs) (laughs) I can't believe it. And also... How long they've been married. I learned a lot about Barbara Bush's life today. I like did a deep dive into Barbara Bush's biography. Um, six kids. The first thing I did, I'll just admit to this, I did the math on when her hair went white. Because as long as I'd known her, her hair had been white. She's 92. I'd known her since the 90s. I started doing the math. And then it took me down this whole path of that Barbara Bush has had the white hair since she was 49, which I think is really cool because gray hair was not as hip as it is now back in that day. But she cites going prematurely gray for this terrible, tragic story. She lost her second child, first daughter to childhood leukemia. They sent this child, and this child, her, she, this child was named after her mother. Her mother had just recently died in a car crash. They sent this child home with her and was like, take her home in two weeks, she'll be gone. What? Broke my heart. They what? They took her for treatment. She lived for seven more months. But this incredibly tragic, stra- like intense story. And I read a lot of like interviews about it. And I'd always had this sense growing up around Barbara Bush that she was made of steel. Like she was just made of some seriously tough stuff. And when I read all the obituaries and all the stories about her, I realized that impression was well earned. I read in one piece that she talked about how difficult she found it to get through her grief. And what helped her most was hearing George W. Bush, her son, tell a friend that he couldn't come outside and play because his mom needed him. And she said, I realized that that was too much of a burden for a seven-year-old to bear and that I needed to get on with life. Uh, But there have been some touching portrayals of her. We were talking in the car about how some of those portrayals are sort of missing some of the coolest pieces of her. I mean, she was not to be messy woman. Yeah. Not to be messed with. Um, She was very, um, you know, her grandkids call her the enforcer. That's been going around a lot of the articles. But she was also like very fiercely protective of her own family. And I was, it was so funny. I was reading a lot of like, she had a really great sense of humor. My favorite one I put in here was when she was about to become first lady, she quipped, my mail tells me that a lot of fat, white haired, wrinkled ladies are tickled pink, which I thought was hilarious. Um, But she reminded me of Ann Richards, the white hair, the Texas, like the toughness, even though she was born in Connecticut and grew up in the in the Northeast, but she really adopted that West Texas style. 
But like they loathed each other. Like they did not. She called Ann Richards that woman. And I can't you just hear that woman. Um, and she had that famous quip about Geraldine Ferraro when Geraldine Ferraro was the vice president, vice presidential nominee. And I just thought like, I hope that she doesn't get glossed over. I hope that um, because so much of her um, identity was wrapped up in being the wife of a president and the mother of a president, a club that only contains one other woman, Abigail Adams, which is excellent company to keep, I would think. Um, and so I hope that it, it doesn't become, I hope her legacy stays true to this toughness she had, that she was made of steel, that she did have a sharp word, that you did not mess with her family. I like, I really like that part of her and I hope it doesn't become, I don't, I hope the, the way in which we talk about her now that she's gone doesn't come this sort of overly glossed over feminized situation because I really like that part of her. I like that she was so identified as being a wife and a mother, but also because she was tough and you did not cross her. Like, I, I love all the complexity of Barbara Bush and I hope that that the, the betrayals of her after she passes stay true to that. Well, one of the things happening in terms of complexity and partisanship around Barbara Bush's death today is that a professor in Fresno is in trouble for making some very incendiary remarks about Barbara Bush's passing. She said some horrific things about the Bush family and the sentiment, which I will not quote her exactly because it would not be a PG comment, but she said, basically, I'm glad she's gone and I can't wait for the rest of the Bush family to be gone because they've killed a ton of people in the Middle East and they're horrible people and good riddance. And I think that the backlash to that remark gives me a little bit of hope that we still in America have some standards about how we talk about one another. Um, there has been swift criticism of those comments. The university is working through its process on what to do, and that brings up some interesting issues about what we expect college professors to do in terms of their personal speech. She certainly wasn't speaking on behalf of the university. Um, but I think it's fair. I think it's possible to both say, this was a very interesting, complicated, strong woman who had some wonderful attributes and maintained some criticism of her husband and son's presidencies. That's okay to hold all those things together. Um, we can still be classy and dignified about her death. And um, I think that's what she would counsel as well. And she acknowledged, you know, when she made the mistake of, of calling Geraldine Ferraro, her, her words were, it, it rhymes with rich. <laughs> and she later said she was thinking of which, but when she called to apologize, she said, listen, the poet laureate has retired. Yeah. She had a sense of humor about herself and her own mistakes. And so I think that some of that advice applies to how we talk about her in death as well, especially if you don't uh, fully embrace everything that her husband and son did as president, which mm -hmm. you shouldn't, right? It's complicated. Um, you could love them both and still be critical of aspects of their presidency, just as with any other president. So rest in peace, Barbara Bush, the complex, strong woman that you were. I think that she was um, an interesting and great example on many levels. We're going to talk a little bit about news coming out of the Trump administration this week. We just learned that Mike Pompeo, who is going through the confirmation process for Secretary of State, over Easter weekend hung out in person with Kim Jong-un. That's not how I spent my Easter weekend in North Korea. So he did that in his capacity as director of the CIA. What's confusing about it a little bit is that we still had a Secretary of State at the time, Rex Tillerson, who should have been our country's chief diplomat. But... 
Bob Corker uh, gave an interview saying that this wasn't really out of the realm of normal because mm-hmm. a lot of our communications with North Korea have been through our intelligence community. Also, so, excluding Rex Tillerson was not out of the realm of normal at that point either. That's, <laughs> that's why he was on the way out the door. And so, um, Mike Pompeo, we know that he had this conversation because the Trump administration has now decided that it lends credibility to his nomination for Secretary of State. And then, mm. in fact, not confirming him would be detrimental because he's already said down this path of representing the United States with North Korea. I think it's kind of an interesting thing to say, well, see, we already gave him the job. So you have to, you have to go ahead and rubber stamp that Congress. That's I mean, one it's a, strategy. It's a perspective on advice and consent. Right. It's one I mean, he's already been approved for the Senate once when he became CIA director. So I think it would be very difficult to, to imagine a scenario in which he would not be approved to be secretary of state or confirmed. What I think is so interesting about this is, you know, What has changed so dramatically that this situation with North Korea that seemed so entrenched for so many years has all of a sudden shifted pretty dramatically? I mean, I think part of it, a huge part of it is the president of South Korea, his willingness to upset even his own people, inviting them to the Olympics, looking at this issue with fresh eyes. And I wonder how much... He and maybe the leadership of China, I have a, in my work as an elected official, I have a finance director who says never give up the opportunity of a good crisis. And there's a part of me that like, I wonder how much they used a change of administration in the United States as like a crisis to be like, okay, here's our chance to really use this as an accelerant, mix things up, look at things with fresh eyes, push some, push some, pull some levers, push some buttons, because things are clearly shifting in a positive direction over there. I hope so. And I also think it's possible that it feels like all of a sudden to us. Mm. And it's actually the result of years of work by our intelligence community, the result of years of sanctions. I mean, the North Korean economy struggles. There are aspects of the economy that have certainly improved since Kim Jong-il's passing. Uh, But I I don't think it's possible for us to really know why this is happening. I'm not sure we'll ever really understand that story. Uh, But it's fascinating to watch, and I'm very, I'm optimistic. I'm so optimistic. There's nothing I would like more, even as a Democrat, than to praise Donald Trump for finding some sort of peaceful solution to North and South Korea. I would happily, happily, he would be my first compliment the other side, which is the section we do on our Monday show. So I would be first in line if that can come to some sort of peaceful resolution. Yeah. And it does seem like a reason to keep Mike Pompeo in the seat. If he's doing well in those discussions, um, the only indication right now of trouble brewing around him is that Rand Paul, our senator, uh, is is adamantly opposed to his confirmation. But I think that there will be a Democrat or two at least to vote in favor of confirmation. So that will probably happen. Other thing to watch in the Trump administration right now, has anybody seen um, Nikki Haley's Kerfuffle. Kerfuffle. Oh, I love the word kerfuffle. kerfuffle. Yeah. Yes. So Nikki Haley, uh, UN ambassador, announced on the Sunday shows this week that as part of our response to the chemical attack in Syria, the administration would be imposing additional sanctions on Russia. Those were the talking points that had been prepared by the Republican National Committee in consultation with the Trump administration. Somewhere between the preparation of those talking points and the actual airing of the Sunday shows, it has been reported that President Trump changed his mind. About well, first it was anonymous sources, and, there, and then it was Larry Kudlow, the new economic advisor. Right. And so Kudlow says, Nikki Haley's fantastic. She must have been confused. 
She got out in front of this. She did not like that. She did not like that. And so Nikki Haley responds with all the respect. I don't get confused, which I thought was a brilliant way. Is that a little fire emoji? Like if I was texting about that, I would give all the fire emojis to her for that. It's very characteristic of Nikki Haley, too. I remember during the 2016 election uh, when then-candidate Trump had some harsh words for her on Twitter. She retweeted them with one of my favorite expressions, bless his heart. (laughs) And so I think she does have a really strong Barbara Bush-esque way, honestly, of carrying herself through these situations. The thing that I don't know. Barbara Bush called Donald Trump dumb as a rock, so she would not have bought (laughs) (laughs) But she wasn't working for him either. Uh -uh. Um, I think that something that is not getting a lot of discussion in this story right now, if I'm the chief of staff, I feel like the buck stops at my desk on a communication issue like this. This seems like a John Kelly issue to me. Now, I understand that national security is in transition, right? With John Bolton coming in, he has cleaned house. He's bringing in his own people. So there's a lot of flux going on. It's possible that there is miscommunication happening everywhere. But that to me is if I'm the chief of staff, I'm circling the wagons to make sure that everything still works really well. Because of all the messages to get wrong right now... Sanctions about Russia seem like a really big miss. I don't think he's the chief of staff right now. That's really where I'm at. I don't think he's, I think he is chief of staff in name only. It sounds like Sean Hannity is the chief of staff as far as what I'm reading right now. Yeah, let's not talk about Sean Hannity. (laughs) I also think I read a really interesting article by, uh, I believe a writer I mentioned in one of the other classes. Her name's Anne Helen Peterson. She does celebrity studies. And she says that it's very important to understand Donald Trump as a person who functioned inside the celebrity media world for many, many, many years and was known, this is a thing celebrities do all the time, but he was particularly known for being his own anonymous source. So he would just call up the gossip reporter and be like, well, you can't, it's not coming from me. And he had, I think he had a, like a fake name he used a lot. So she says, like, there's no reason to believe that he would completely abandon this strategy that worked for so well for him as a reality star and as a celebrity which is to, to anonymously source stuff. So, so often I read, like ever since I've read that, when I read an article that says an anonymous source inside the White House, I'm like, but what if it was Donald Trump? Like, what if he was like, I changed my name on this rage, this Russian sanction thing, and I'm going to call up somebody and tell him. And throw, what do I care? He's not, I mean, he's not particularly known for being loyal to his staff. I'll throw Nikki Haley under the bus. What do I care? And so I just thought like, every time now I'm like, what if it was him? What if he was the anonymous source inside the White House who said, I mean, I, it, it could be. Well, he's known. I, I mean, however you feel about President Trump, he is known for in the evening making lots and lots of phone calls to sort of process the day with his closest friends mm-hmm. and advisors and to be sort of on the fence about different issues and seeking their advice at counsel. And some of those people have been known to then call their favorite reporter and process the phone call they just had with them. So it is really hard to know uh, where the leak happened about the change in direction. What would have happened had that leak not occurred? Would we have stayed on course with the sanctions? You know, I don't know. Uh, It'll be interesting to see how Congress responds as well, because the You know, the situation with Russia and sanctions around Russia is not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. And I think it is likely to escalate. I think there's a reasonable argument to be made that the fact that Russia has not yet responded in a military way to our military action in Syria is a reason to cool things down a little bit. You know, we had the Cold War with Russia. There are commentators now using the phrase hot peace. 
Mm. That that's where we are, that things are really escalating. And so uh, it, it may be the right call not to do these sanctions at this moment. I don't know. But the United States, in an official way, should be speaking with one voice about that issue. So we wanted to share a little bit of listener feedback, which we do on our Friday shows from a listener, Lisa, who emailed us. And she was talking particularly about our the way we think about polarization. And she emailed us and she said, the culprit typically blamed for polarization in our society is our bias. Ironically, the discussion of bias privileges the individual at the expense of the social. And that is how we end up with alternative facts. The only way in which we can know the robustness of our conclusion is by considering the way in which our perspective is viewed by other people. The political philosopher Hannah Arendt, whom I adore, called this training the mind to go visiting. Bias is not something we have. It is something we are. If we remain convinced of our own objectivity apart from the consideration of the other, we are doomed to error and delusion, anger and resentment. Thanks, Lisa. And I thought this was so good. I love bias is not something we have. It is something we are. Because I, I, it always kind of gets under my skin when someone's like, well, you're not being objective. As if they, as an individual, can possess objectiveness unto themselves. Like objectivity is something you have to like what I call bump up against each other. Like you just have to go up and bump up against each other and hear lots of perspectives. And that's what she's saying. Like it has to be a social. Objectivity is a social engagement because you gain objectivity by hearing your opinion and seeing it in other people's eyes and through other people's perspectives. And that's how you kind of reach some level of objectivity, not through some individual exercise. Yeah, I thought it was a great point. And one of the things that we heard today, we asked students several times, what frustrates you about the news right now? And, and we did hear some frustration about bias that you can't find an objective news source. And I think that's a problem. And I think a, a really confusing aspect of our media environment right now is that most newspapers, even the newspapers of record, are really attracting attention through their commentary, not mm -hmm. their journalism. And you have to really pay attention to whether you're reading commentary or journalism, because you can be looking at something in the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times or the Washington Post, and it be just an opinion piece, but it feels like it is supposed to be an objective reporting of facts. And so being finely attuned to when is bias being disclosed, because this is an opinion piece versus when is someone trying to present objective facts is really important. And I think the situation is even worse on cable news. And I hadn't really thought about it until we started talking about it on the show because I don't watch a lot of cable news, but you will have a panel of people and it will be a journalist, a congressman, and like a lobbyist, like the journalist supposedly reporting the facts is mess is mixed in all with people who are sharing their opinion on the facts. And so the line between bias and opinion and facts and reporting is so gray and it's so hard to sort out. Like, okay, am I listening to this person and they're just telling me their opinion on what's happening? Are they reporting what's happening? That's very difficult to delineate on a cable news network. Sarah shared an article about this called something like the panelization mm, of, of politics. politics. And I love Meet the Press. I mean, I DVR Meet the Press. And I wait for my children to take a nap so that I can watch it by myself and no one bothers me. This is how much I'm devoted to Chuck Todd. But after reading this article, I thought, what is Meet the Press? Is someone reporting information to me? I don't think so. But the people sitting there, it's the press. It's the reporters. And so how am I supposed to view these folks who sit down every Sunday as a group to sort of process what's happening 
And what is my job as a listener to take from that? Because it, it isn't objective facts. It's also not lying. I mean, I think we have a problem right now, too, where we say anything that's biased must be bad or must be fake or must be something other than truth. Well, that's not it either. All kinds of truth can have an opinion surrounding it. I mean, that's mm-hmm. what the experience of being human is in a lot of ways. So I think, I don't know what the answer is. We've talked on the podcast before about maybe more disclosure and more transparency about bias is the answer. Maybe it's just as consumers of information, really thinking hard about what we're listening to. And I think it's difficult because I think we want one story. So there's not really always going to be just one story about what some, about even a fact-based event. You're still going to have different perspectives. You can't call a witness up in a witness stand and think that you're going to get a full and complete picture of what happened. There's all kinds of problems with witness testimony in criminal cases. I mean, there's always going to be difficulty in trying to get one story that everybody agrees on is exactly what happened, especially when you're talking about policy and there's a, there's, you're trying to report on a debate we're having. Like, I don't even know how you begin to tell somebody, well, this is the situation with healthcare reform. I mean, who are you talking to? That's a very difficult thing to report the the facts on. And so much of meet the press, for example, is 73% of Americans feel this way about this topic. Well, Hey, do they, and do I need to know that? Is that helpful to me? What am I supposed to do with that information now? Um, I think all of that is really designed to provoke an emotional reaction more than an intellectual reaction. So it's a lot to think about, really, and kind of what is the news right now and what do we want it to be when we view it from the perspective of bias is something we are and we need other perspectives in order to help us move beyond our bias. So up next, we are going to talk about how high school students can get involved in government and politics and the world around them. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. You know how you learn to really appreciate how good your products are? Leave town and get stuck with whatever shampoo is in the hotel. I take Pros and their custom hair products for granted, y'all. Pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do. From their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. From millions of possible formulas, only one is uniquely yours or mine. 
I never found beauty products that really understood my needs. But ever since I switched to custom hair and skin routine with pros, I've noticed so many benefits. My thin hair is moisturized, but not weighed down. And my waves have never looked better. And Pros isn't just better for you, it's better for the planet. They're a certified B Corps, cruelty-free, and the first and only carbon-neutral custom beauty brand. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash pantsuit. So you get your free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash pantsuit. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash pantsuit. In previous episodes, I have outed myself as a bed-making fanatic. I am very serious about my bed being an oasis, a gift to Chad and me as we crawl into it at the end of a long day. So I want to return to how much I love my Bolin Branch sheets. With Bolin Branch sheets, you can discover a new level of softness. The sheets are made from 100% organic cotton in a buttery, breathable weave that truly gets softer every time you wash them. And you know that I like to do that once a week. So my bowl and branch are rapidly aging like a fine wine. The sheets look great. I have them in a beautiful slate color. They stay put. So making my bed is quick and easy. They are a bestseller for a reason. The signature sheets feel incredible on night one. They are loved by millions of sleepers and they come with a 30-night worry-free guarantee. Sleep better at night with the softest sheets from Bowl & Branch. Get 15% off your first order when you use promo code pantsuit at bowlandbranch.com. That's Bowl & Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com, promo code pantsuit. Exclusions apply. See site for details. day with high school and middle school students talking about disagreeing with others, about the news, about partisanship. We thought this evening... Oh, and we also learned about Fortnite. We did. We got educated by some middle middle school students. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm feeling like informed about it. I feel better. I feel better prepared as a parent. I'm just going to be really honest. Thank you, middle schoolers. And we also reached agreement, consensus that eight hours of Fortnite is too too much. much. Too much. That's That's it. That's all we could get out of them. Any mothers in the room, we tried our best, but eight hours (laughs) was as willing as as far as they were willing to go. (laughs) So tonight we thought we would talk more about what do you do now? So if you spend some time with us today or you're in your government class or your geography class or history class thinking, I want to be more a part of our democratic process and we hope that you do. What do you do, especially if you can't vote yet? And we think the answer is there are many, many things you can do, even if you can't vote yet. And we think adults in the room, there are many things that you can be encouraging young people around you to do. Because the truth is, everybody will be able to vote very, very soon. That time will go by in a flash. And even without that, you know, the way we influence each other, because that's what media has become, right? Influence, especially social media and our personal conversations. Everything in our politics are influenced by the way we talk about politics. So we want to go through some things that we think you can do right now, um, whether you're 18 or not, to be good stewards of this democracy we are entrusted with in America. 
So I actually think you're really well positioned to, to tackle this first thing, which is something we talk a lot about on the podcast, which is to prioritize the relationship of between the person and you and whoever you're having this conversation with. We talked a lot about getting curious, listening to each other, talking to each other, trying to understand where the other person is coming from instead of just trying to win the debate. We just we did have a very um, intense moment with the middle schoolers. Where we were like, are you trying to win every conversation? And they were like, yes. And we're like, oh, okay, well, <laughs> all right. That's, that's good to know. We should reflect on that. Let's all reflect on that for a minute. Um, probably because you're playing eight hours of Fortnite, so why winning is so important, but whatever. <laughs> um, and so we were talking about that. Okay, so if we're not, we're going to prioritize curiosity. We're going to try to be curious. We're going to think through how we can better understand why this issue is so important to this person, where they're coming from. What we try to do so often on the podcast, which has become easier and easier as we are friends, as we become closer in our personal lives, is prioritize the relationship. So me understanding Beth, me ending the show in a good place with Beth is always really important to me. And I think as students, you almost, especially if you're if you're talking with your other the other students in the school, or if you're talking with your own family members, obviously, like you already have that link, that relationship, because you're students together. You sh- you're in a class together, or you're in a graduating class together, whatever. Or you're in the school together, so you already have that. You don't have to reach, um, as we advise adults who listen to our podcast, to that relationship of like fellow Americans. It's a little tenuous relationship right now. It's kind of hard to tap into our. Oh, I don't know. If you live in Colonial Williamsburg, I feel like I could really, you could really tap that patriotic spirit really easily. But um, I think that when you're in a when you're in a student body, you already have that kind of relationship with each other. You still have to see this person. You still have to be in class with this person. You might be on a sports team with this person. And so you already have that that great connection that you can prioritize over winning the conversation. And so it's important not to forget that. I think that's the big thing. Sometimes we compartmentalize our politics, especially as we get older. So it becomes, yes, I go to church with this person or I work with this person, but their politics are abhorrent to me, so we don't discuss it. Mm -hmm. And that's where we really lose the value of our communities. We're not trying to solve problems together anymore. We're trying to avoid each other politically so that we can stomach each other civically. That doesn't work in a democracy. So I um, am Sarah from the left, obviously. So I'm a Democrat and I live in a very conservative area. I'm an elected official in a conservative area. So I spend a lot of time with people who disagree with me politically, but like, no, I have to talk about it because I'm an elected official. I knocked on 5,000 doors to get elected in my hometown. And when you knock on somebody's door to, to run for office, it's like this green light. Like they, they are like basically legally required to talk politics with me. This is awesome. I have so many things to say. Um, and so I had a lot of conversations conversations with people who disagree with me. And because um, I love my town so much, because I'm an elected official now, so I have to prioritize the relationship with that person because now they're my constituent. Like I can't just do the agree to disagree, which I personally dislike. Because when I when somebody looks at me and says, oh, let's just agree to disagree, I hear, I stopped listening and I probably stopped caring. So we're not having this conversation anymore, which really upsets me. Everybody wants to be heard. Everybody wants to be seen. Everybody wants to be listened to. And so because I prioritize that relationship with my my fellow citizens in my town because they're my constituents now in particular like I have to understand where they're coming from I have to hear them on a deeper level and not just think like ugh, like oh I just agree, disagree with that or I hate their stance on that issue or whatever the case might be like I just that's not the most important thing to me about them 
And a related point, which we talked about with a couple of classes today as well, is we think it's so important, especially right now, before you really commit to being a Republican or a Democrat, to define your own personal values and your priorities around those values instead of picking a party and allowing the party to define the values for you. The reason we have political parties is to be shorthand. We are all too busy to explore every issue in the depth that it requires. So it is okay to say, generally speaking, I vote with this party. I would like to know this party's position on this issue that I'm unfamiliar with. But that should be a starting place, not an ending place. You should examine that through the filter of your personal values. And we heard from students today. We said, what matters to you? And, and they told us things like school safety, gun rights, the environment came up a lot, a lot in ways that were very encouraging. Um, those values should be brought to bear when you hear from either party about what their position is on something. And you should be testing the parties constantly um, through the lens of your values, which have to be well-defined or you can't do that test. It's hard to be curious about other people if you're not curious about yourself. It's hard to try to understand everyone else on a deeper level if you're not looking within and thinking, why do I care so much about this issue? Why is this so important to me? Why am I reacting so strongly to this person disagreeing with me? So the, other, the next thing we want to talk about is learning. So we're in a school. It's a perfect place to say this, but it's really important to learn how our government works. I think so many adults don't know what happens at the state level versus the federal level, for example. They don't know what their local mayor does. And so we have in nonpartisan local races conversations about national issues that are totally irrelevant. When my dad ran for judge executive of our county, he was asked questions about Supreme Court decisions. I was like, Dad, it doesn't matter how you feel about Citizens United. It matters how you feel about parks. That's your jurisdiction. But the concept of jurisdiction really passes us by as adults. We blur all of these lines. You can't be an informed voter if you don't understand what the person you are electing has the power to do and what they don't have the power to do. So while you're in school, focus on the three different branches of the federal government. Learn everything you can about how the government in Virginia works. Learn what happens here in Williamsburg. Do you know who your mayor is? You know, you should know these things. And what's the structure around your city government? Because the more you know about those things, the more equipped you'll be to cast your vote when you do, to influence other people casting their votes, and to hopefully eventually decide to get involved yourselves in some meaningful way. Because when people talk to local officials about those national issues and when there's really not engagement about local issues, what I, when people come to me and they say, well, I'm not going to vote for you because you're a Democrat or because of XYZ issue or whatever, even though I'm in a nonpartisan race. So the city commission is nonpartisan. We don't need, we don't register our parties. And I say, I hear what, what they're saying is like, are you like me? Are we, are we on the same team? Like, that's what they really want to know. They want to know if we connect over values. And what I try so hard to convince, and I guess I was partly successful, I won, which is that, you know, I love this place. 
this community is the top priority for me. And while we might not always agree on the next step for moving the community forward, I hope that what you believe is that I love this place and I want it to do well. And that's what's much easier to do and engage with politics on a local level. Is to, to, You could probably call up your mayor or your city commissioner or your city council person and say, like, can you talk to me about this? Can you, can you tell me about this issue? Can you say what the most pressing issue for... Williamsburg is right now. In Paducah, we're facing a pension crisis. We also have a lot of flooding issues. Like that's not a that's not a you know really exciting national issue, but it's really important to the place where I live, and it's 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 manageable and approachable in a way that big complex issues like Syria are not. We're finally at my favorite time of year. Spring is here. Summer is just around the corner. We're getting our summer essentials ready: our sunscreen, our emotional support water bottles our steamy beach reads. But maybe you would prefer your steamy earbuds. This year, there is a new kind of essential right at your fingertips. Enemies to love, chance encounters, a slow burn, friends that become more. Whatever your favorite romantic trope, Dipsy has a spicy audio story just for you. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short and spicy audio stories that bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. You can discover stories about second chance romances and adventurous vacation flings. That's my favorite. Hot and heavy hookups. It can be as heavy or as light as you want it to be. This is what I love about Dipsy. It is a modern approach to romance through high quality, captivating audio fiction that you can listen to in the privacy of your own headphones. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to 3rd Love, you can have both. 3rd Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they made solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. They even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. We also want to encourage you to learn about issues that interest you. So picking something like global warming, which we heard a lot of interest from students about today, is fantastic. 
get into that, you know, become sort of a subject matter expert on one or two things that you really understand. We've sort of broken out issues on the podcast. Sarah knows a lot more about welfare than I do. I know a lot more about what's going on in Ukraine than Sarah does. And it breaks down by so our much interest more. level. <laughs> you know, Sarah's just not interested in that. And so I, take I could it. not find Ukraine on a map. True story. <laughs> and so it, that's okay because none of us can do everything that we need to do. Um, Relying on others around us to be informed is really important. So be one of those people on whom others can rely. And you don't have to know everything, but know quite a bit about something, whether it is related to your future career path or not. And I think that's the real key. You can say, I don't want anything to do with politics as a career. I want to be a fashion designer. Awesome. Be a fashion designer who really knows a lot about trade. That would actually be an excellent connection if you're going to be a fashion mm-hmm. designer. So understand, you know, something about a particular issue that makes you a really good source of information for the people in your community about that topic. And hopefully your model of that will encourage others to do the same. I think that this is, if let me just put on my Oprah hat, like I just think this is good life advice generally, which is don't try to be what you think someone else thinks you should be. Don't try to follow a political interest that seems important or seems impressive or an issue that you think like makes you impressive or is the most important. We had a, a, a listener email us one time and said, say, every issue seems like the most important issue. How am I supposed to pick? And I'm like, what is important to you? Like you have to follow your own interests. Like you have to just follow your own passion. That's true in skills. That's true in careers. And that's definitely true in politics. If global warming, if you know in your heart that global warming is important, but it's just not something you're passionate about, that's okay. Because that's the beauty of a democracy is we got a big old table and I've got lots of friends who live, sleep, breathe, eat global warming, and they've got it covered. So what is something you want to think about all the time that you think this is really important to me? And maybe it's animal advocacy. Maybe it's female representation. Maybe it's, I mean, who knows what it could be, but whatever it is, don't try to convince yourself it's not important enough or it's not fancy enough, or it's not what other people think is the most important political issue of the day, because we need everybody at this table in America bringing their interests, bringing their expertise on the, on the issue that really clicks in their life. And it can also help for you to identify sort of what's your way of engaging. We're not all meant to run for office. I'm not knocking on 5,000 doors. That's, I'm not cut out. It's so that. fun. Um, that, that's not my personality. I don't like for people to look at me. Sarah does all these ribbon cuttings. She loves it. That would I like having my picture taken. Beth does not. I do not like that. I like waving when they're like, our elected officials, can you stand up and wave? I'm like, yes, I can't. <laughs> yeah. I would want to crawl under a rock. I'm really good at writing letters. I'm good at serving on boards. My main political participation right now outside our podcast is being on the board of the Ohio Justice and Policy Center, which is focused on criminal justice reform. It's something I really care about. I'm a really good board member because I've been a lawyer. I've been a human resources executive. I can bring a lot of skills to that. So those are the kinds of things that you need to start thinking about. What's my way of participating? Maybe you'll never run for office. That's fine. I hope some of you do. We need a few of you in this room to do that. But if you don't, that's great. You might be a great campaign manager. You might be a great letter writer. You might be an activist who likes to show up for marches and get to the street to get your message out. We need all kinds of people doing all kinds of things to make our democracy go. And now is the time for you to start thinking, I wonder, like, what is my way? What skills and interests do I have? 
and then applying those to an issue you care about, you become a really positive, powerful force. And unfortunately, in America and with adults, we like to say there's like, we really like to imply there's only one good way to participate in politics. Like if you are on the left right now, the only way you are a good human being is if you are an activist in the street every weekend. Like that is the only option available to you. And so often on the right, what you hear is like, that is the only way you are a good citizen is if you never protest because only losers protest. So we have these, we like to, we like to push things into binary and false dichotomies, but don't listen. Like, yes, we absolutely need activists. It's also not the only correct moral way to participate in politics. Like we need those people who honestly, like they're activists because they think that is the only way to participate in politics, but that's not like there, there, we do need the people who will run. We do need the people who will participate in different ways and who will get on boards and who will do volunteer work. What we need, it's a big table. We need all the types. So we hope that you will start doing some of these things, and we hope that you're motivated to be participants in our democracy. It doesn't work without you. A lot of the reason that we have a mess in America right now is because reasonable people have decided politics is too ugly to be involved in. We always talk about ourselves as being crazy moderates. We want to be radical about being moderates. We want to be radical about being willing to compromise, radical about our willingness to deviate from our parties. And that might not be your thing. We need the far right and the far left too. We need the whole spectrum, but the middle has to show up. And that's really what we want to encourage today. Even if you, especially if you think I'm just not interested, get interested in something in some way. Thank you so much to everyone who made today possible. An enhanced education and community engagement is only possible through the generosity of donors. Please consider making your gift today at walsingham.org or contact the Office of Advancement. We'll be back with you on Tuesday for another episode. Until then, see you in the To support Pantsuit Politics, please visit patreon.com forward slash Pantsuit Politics or rate and review the podcast in the Apple Podcast Player. Thank you to our executive producers, Nicholas, Chad, Tracy, George, and Sabrina. You can find us on Twitter at Pantsuit Politics or Facebook and Instagram at Pantsuit Politics. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. You can also hear his work and get more nuance by checking out our podcast on family, relationships, and values, The Nuanced Life.